Welcome to Emron's podcast, episode number 131. This is your host, Simon Silwal. In this podcast, I talk to Katra Corbett from California. She is an author, ultra distance runner, and uh, she has a great story to tell us about her journey from drug addiction to ultra running. In this podcast, we go through talking about different aspects of ultra distance running, especially fast packing, Katra's journey from drug addiction to ultra distance running, as well as we talk about running 200 mile up to this recording of this podcast Katra has earned 14 200 mile races she's a resident expert great uh, listening about all ultra related stuff um, enjoy the podcast i would like to welcome Katra corbett to emron's podcast uh, Katra is a ultra runner uh, she does many many things uh, including uh, her her recent book i don't know how new recent it is but but I, I completely listened to that book, uh, Reborn on the Run. She's from California. Uh, welcome to Emma's podcast, Katra. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I was trying to, uh, as I was listening to your book, I was like, ah, maybe she wants to talk to me. So, so it, it's so glad uh, that you agreed to come, and it took us almost a month to arrange I this. Know. <laughs> you're busy i'm busy yeah. things happen yeah you're, you're <laughs> especially in the summer <laughs> i'm like racing like a mad woman yeah i've been training in the summer my actually my racing season just started so i just came back from berlin's berlin marathon is the first marathon for the season i i will run a few marathons and then go to the trail and start running trails so that's yeah wonder. trails way better than the road <laughs> <laughs> i'm always in between but but let's uh, let's talk about uh, some of the things you do, and then we'll go back to talk about um, your book, and um, and and then see, let's see where we we land, and then we I have other questions to ask too. When I was trying to set up this interview, uh, you talked about a fast packing, and then you were the first person really I talked. To, I listened, and in the book, I had to go back and re-listen some of the things, and I started asking around instead of fast packing. Let's talk about uh, to our audience uh, what is definition of fast packing. You kind of mentioned that pre-interview. Uh, let's yeah, talk about so, that. So fast packing is basically when you go out like hiking and running in the wilderness and you're carrying minimal amount of gear. Sometimes you may carry a tent and other times you may not, but you will have a shelter with you. And it's usually doing like a long trail. So, for instance, the John Muir Trail is one of those trails that I have fast packed. 13 times now so and I actually have the yo-yo record and what that means is I've done an out and back so I started in Yosemite and I ran and hiked all the way to Mount Whitney and then I turned around and came back Hmm. so but what I carry with me when I'm fast packing I carry like a you know like a 25 liter pack where I have a really small tent or a tarp that I use and I have like a very lightweight sleeping bag and basically all the clothes that I carry it's like I'll put them all on at night to keep warm. So it's like I carry a pair of pants, a running skirt, you know, one sports bra, long sleeve shirt, a short sleeve shirt, one hat, and like gloves. And like at night, if you get cold, you just put pile on everything on you. But that's what basically fast packing is: is going fast and light on a trail. So when you when you hike a trail, I, th- I guess say you you mentioned run run hike. When you hike yeah, a trail, how how many miles can you get in in a day? I've never done a whole day trail day hike, and I haven't run it oh. you know, hundred mile or but it's yeah, a one settings. I, but I've never done this kind of things. Well, me and uh, a group uh, these two other women, we did the whole Tahoe Rim Trail, which was one hundred seventy five miles, 
and we did it in 72 hours. So, and that was just, we only slept like for three hours in that period of time. But the John Muir trial has a lot of climbing and you're going up 12 passes of above, you know, 11,000 feet and the highest passes, of course, Mount Whitney, which is 14,505 feet. So you're mostly hiking everything up because you're going really slow, but all the downhills and the flats, I'm running the downhills and I'm, you know, running as much as I can on the flats. And the key to it is being able to get your, uh, your whole pack down pretty low. So usually if I, when I start, I try to have it like around 18 pounds or less. And that's including all my food for seven days. Wow. So you had to get all your food and everything. Yeah. There's places you can send resupply to yourself along the way, but I usually can get seven days worth of food in my pack. And you know, this last trip that I just did with a friend, we weren't trying to go for any fast time and she was from Canada. It was the first time for her to be at like high altitude. And so she was having a little bit of a struggle at the altitude, you know, and I live at altitude now, so it was nothing for me. <laughs> so I was like flying up the top of the hills, but we actually had to have your packs this time. I pack, um, when we started, I think mine was 19 pounds and hers ended up being like 25 pounds. We resupplied like at one spot along the way, but we tried to carry enough food for the whole time and we kind of were eating a bunch and I had just did 200 mile race. So I was very hungry. <laughs> so I already had went through all my food. I'm like, Oh crap, I'm already eating all my food. So, but luckily along the way, there was a couple of places that we were able to get food and we didn't have to send it out. There's, you know, a couple stores out in the wilderness. One was out near um, mammoth, which is near a trailhead. And then one was actually in Tuolumne, which is just outside of Yosemite. And those are generally places where people that are hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, they mm -hmm. use those as resupply oh, okay. as well. The John Muir Trail is probably one of the most popular trails in the world. I mean, I met so many foreigners. Like, I meet more foreigners than I do, like, Americans out on the trail <laughs> when I'm out there. And, and it seemed like there's a really, they must be really advertising for the trail in Japan because there was a lot of Japanese. Japanese um, uh, yeah, hikers out there. So I was pretty impressed. And there was a lot of solo women and you don't usually see that, you know, Japanese solo women out there. And I was pretty impressed with that. The amount of women from Japan that were the, by themselves out there. Definitely. Yeah. Cause usually I'm like by myself and people are like, what, aren't you afraid being <laughs> out here? And it's like, no, it's like safer to be out here than it is to like be, you know, walking around on the, the streets of your city. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us so how 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 far is the John John Muir Trail? I think you mentioned that. So one direction, it's 212 miles, and it's actually really they. So the trail actually starts or ends at the top of Mount Whitney, hmm. and then you still either have to, if you're starting from Mount Whitney, you still have to climb 11 miles. But the actual trail doesn't count that part. <laughs> so, but it is yeah. So it's 221 miles. I'm so fascinated about this uh, fast fast backing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's a, that's my next adventure. You okay. should, yeah. Pick a trail and get out there and yeah. go. You know, yeah, we have we have this you... pin, we have the Pinhoti Trail uh, that we. Oh, could... that's right. There's the race on that. Yeah, trail. yeah, Pinhoti 100. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We're like I'll, I I like to run at this end to end or the part of it or I've been always talking about oh, I just want to backpack and just go and maybe this fast yeah. pack. Uh, tell us about uh, whenever you do this fast pack. Uh, you talked about food. And the water supply, those are the, I mean, you talked about the clothing, but talk about those two. For the water supply, let's go from there. You cannot carry all the water. There's plenty of water in the Sierras. There's no, like, you're crossing water the whole entire time. 
you're along this, you know, a river. So you don't have to carry extra water. I just carry like two 20 ounce bottles with me mm. and that's what I use. And, um, I have a filter bottle, but I never, I don't filter out there. I mean, okay. the water is so pure and I've never gotten Giardia in the Sierras. And like I said, I've done the John Muir trail 14 times now. So, and I have never gotten GRD out there and I train out there all the time and drink it. It's all snow runoff. Mm. So as long as you're going upstream and not where like the mule crossings or the horses are crossing, you know, and the pack trains are out there, you're, you're fine. Yeah. I don't know anybody that's gotten GRD in the Sears, but they have filter bottles nowadays that you can buy and they're super lightweight and they, they're uh, squishy bottles, like the ones that people have for their hydration packs. They're just squishy little bottles, and you, they have a filter built onto them, like on the lid. So I do that when I'm out running in other trails that I'm not familiar with and in case there's any bacteria in the water. So they're pretty safe, uh, those, those kind mm -hmm. of Okay. Yep. And the, yeah, in the Sierras, it's totally safe. It's, like I said, snow runoff. And we had so much snow this year that, I mean, the rivers were raging. And, yeah, so there's plenty of water. So you're never you're never out of water. And nowadays, there's so many different apps that you can have on your phone like there's uh, the guth hooks mm -hmm. and that you download the john muir trail map and it's on your phone and it tells you exactly where the water is wow. like people will you know add or subtract you know they'll write like a little note so you can read like the comments from the other hikers like if there's an area that's questionable or doesn't have water anymore because later in the season sometimes some of these small streams dry up. So, but I use that a lot and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool because I've never used that. I've always used like paper maps when <laughs> I go out on the JMT. And this is the first year I used the Guth Hooks because I hadn't fast packed the trail in four years. And I was like, oh, this is great, you know, because, and it, they'll even have information like if you're going to go to uh, a resupply stop, you know, what's there, you know, is there, like a place to get food, you know, to eat, a grill or that kind of thing or what they have in the store and they give ratings and stuff and then like how accessible it is to get a ride out if you need to hitch out to go into a bigger town. So it's awesome to have that on your phone. Definitely. Definitely sounds <laughs> and it's like a Guth Hooks app. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. it really is a great app and it has like the Appalachian Trail, all the Pacific Crest Trail mm. hikers use that this year. So it's gotten really popular. So you can down like load the whole Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide or any long trail, the Arizona Trail and all of that. We definitely need to check that out. I'll put a link. Yeah, out. for sure. It's pretty cool. Uh, the other part of the this uh, this question is about the food. So what kind of food mm -hmm. uh, do you carry for the fast packing? So I mostly eat the same thing over and over again. So I use uh, this last time I used Muir Energy. I'm vegan. So um Muir Energy gels are the gels that I like. And then I carry like little almond butter packets. And then I carry oatmeal packets. And I just pour the water. Like I don't carry a stove mm. or anything like that. People are like, how are you cooking your stuff? I'm like, I don't eat anything cooked. And I actually did bring three um, organic vegan dinners that are uh, like hiking food. But it's you just add cold water. It's not meant to be using hot water. And you can just put it inside of the, the water inside the packet and use it has like a Ziploc kind of thing on there and uh -huh. you just leave it for 30 minutes while you're hiking and then you pull it out and eat it. And so I had like pad thai and some cabbage thing. Yeah, it was actually really good. <laughs> so normally I don't even bring that food, but my friend Charlotte was wanting to, you know, she wanted to bring food that she could eat like the meals. And I was like, Oh, I should get a few of these. So I mostly ate the Muir energy bars, the almond butter, 
oatmeal and then I had some high calorie bars, this company called Human Bar. They're out of um, England and they're like they make spirulina and, and superfoods inside of their bars, which are really good and they're high calorie. They're like 300 and something calories. Okay. So, and I yeah. would have the, a couple of those a day too. That's interesting. So, very... Yeah, but I eat the same thing over and over again. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people need to eat a lot more, but I know that I'm just, I don't want to have a heavy pack. And so yeah. it's like you just, Eat what you have, and you end up losing weight, and you just eat a lot when you go home. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, well, that's like in two hundred in two hundred mile races, you're always going to lose weight. I mean, it's like you're going for you know three to four days, and so it's basically like fast packing yeah. when you're doing a two hundred mile race too. And there's a station that's a probably that's the only difference. Well, which is nice. You don't have to carry a heavy pack, yeah, but you yeah. have to carry you know enough stuff to get you twenty miles in between aid stations. Yeah. Okay. Fast packing is a pretty new concept for me, at least. Um, so we, I need to review. And one of the other thing I was thinking, as you're talking, I, we talked about run walking, how how heavy it is to carry at even the twenty pound, uh, twenty to twenty five pounds backpack. So well, that's heavy. That's why I try to keep up, like you know, around eighteen because it's going to get lighter as you go. Oh, so okay. up, you know, for me, like around. 14 pounds is perfect. I mean, I can run pretty good with a 14 pound pack and you should train with the weight. You know, right. if you're going to be out fast packing, you definitely want to want to train with what you're going to be using and make sure everything's comfortable when you're, especially if you put weight into a pack, you want to have the right pack and make sure that nothing's bouncing around too. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you're stuck out in the wilderness <laughs> for like five or seven days and you're not comfortable that it could get really, yeah. really bad. Yeah. I, I travel around with in a, a Europe this time with my laptop and a and a camera. It was not comfortable. It's not that. What are you talking no. about? But, but <laughs> why carry heavy yeah. stuff when you don't have to? You know it, exactly. And that's what I look at a lot of these hikers out in the wilderness. I'm like, man, they're only out for three days, but they're carrying a 50 pound pack. Like <laughs> you, you're out here for three days. There's so much lightweight gear and you would have so much more fun if you didn't have you all this gear, yes. heaviness. Yeah. And, you know, and people get, you know, blisters and things like that out there when you're carrying such heavy weight, you know, and that's why I tell my friends that want to kind of run, hike, do the same thing, fast packing. I'm like, you got to get your gear down and you got to practice with the pack. You know, you can't just like, oh, I'm going to go out and do this. And then, you know. It, it's, you know, hard enough as it is climbing like 14,000 feet, you know, and going up at high altitude that, you know, the less weight you have, the the more comfortable you're going to be. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I had a friend who was uh, going, he, the amount of, uh, amount of stuff he packed to go to Berlin versus the amount of packed I, so I, I packed. He was like, <laughs> like, I can't believe you come with this little. I was like, yeah, I've been traveling like this a lot lighter. So lately I'm, I'm getting lighter and lighter as I go because I want to, like you're talking about, but it's a little different uh, what you're doing versus what I was doing. Well, uh, no, it's good to get minimal because that's what you're going to, everything you have in your pack is going to be stuff that you're going to use. So you want to be minimal, like, you know, especially out on a trail yeah. and you're by yourself out fast packing. So yeah. for sure, it's good. It's good to be minimalist. <laughs> <laughs> the only problem is that we're like, a, like, do I need this? Do I need like a 10 batteries and, to, you know, am I going to get no. hungry or, you know? <laughs> Like what I'm so hungry and and stuff. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we can come back to this topic. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about your book. Um, you, mm-hmm. you you put a quite a time there. 
in the book, uh, it, it goes through pretty extensive about your life. I don't want to go into detail, um, uh, listener, if you want to read uh, or listen to Catra's uh, book, uh, I'll put a link to uh, Amazon or or the whatever to, her book is. To my website. To your website, yeah. <laughs> yeah, catracorbett.com. Yeah, they can yeah. order autographed copies through me. Hmm, okay. But let's uh, let's talk about your book a little bit. Uh, talk about the inspiration behind your book. And I know that uh, there's a lot, of, mm-hmm. a lot of stories. And uh, give us some Cliff Note version or at least, at least tell, sure. us, uh, tell us about, you know, inspiration behind this book. Yeah. So, I, I mean, my friends have been and people for years have been telling me to write a book because I have so many stories. Like I go out on these epic runs and things in my life and people are just like, how do you survive all of this? Like, you, you know, you go out by yourself and, you know, what? what makes you tick? What makes you do this? And it's like, you know, everything that's happened in my life has brought me to where I am today and made me the person I am today, you know? And so I've been clean and sober for 25 years. And I always tell people that's, they're like, what is the biggest thing you've done in your life? They always talk about my races. And I said, no, nothing I've done in racing can compare to like me, my sobriety for 25 years. That's Mm. like the biggest thing I've done in my life. I feel like, you know, my biggest accomplishment is maintaining my sobriety for 25 years. So I, in my book, I talk a lot about that. I, um, you know, a lot of people think they're alone and they're not alone. You know, that if they're suffering from mental health issues or addictions or, you know, have had trauma in their life. And, you know, if I can make it through all these things that have happened, as I was growing up, it's like anybody can, you know, you just have to seek help, get what you can. And then, you know, you can do anything, you know, you just have to believe in yourself. So a lot of why I wrote it was mainly to show other women too, especially that they can do things. They they can do things by themselves. They can get out and go in the wilderness like I do and go out running or, you know, uh, plan on doing a race and not be afraid to be out there, you know, just be safe about what you do and be aware of your surroundings. And, you know, it's not that scary being out in the wilderness by yourself. It really is. And I feel safer out in the wilderness than I do like just running down the road to get to a trailhead, (laughs) you know, but yeah, so I wrote it just to inspire other people to let them know they're not alone if they're going through, you know, they're, you know, an addiction or they're trying to get help or they're not sure, you know, if they could do it, you know, they read my story and, and it inspires them. So, I mean, I get emails all the time. Like this one girl, she just got out of prison. She was in prison for 10 years and she's running now like crazy. You know, she's doing ultras. And she said when she was in prison, she read my book like five times and it really, mm. really helped her. And when she got out, she started running and now is doing ultras. And I'm going to meet her in a month at one of my races. So it's just stories like that that really make me feel like there was a purpose. You know, I had to do this to meet these other people and to inspire others, you know, to to get help or to make them believe in themselves like they can run. You know, like I I'm constantly telling people they that have run 100 miles. I'm like, you could totally do a 200 miler. And they look at me like, are you nuts? You know, like 100 (laughs) miles is long. And you're saying I could do 200? I'm like, yeah, you just have to believe in yourself and want to do it. It's To me, it's easier than running a 100-mile race because when you're running a 100-mile race, you're, you know, going – it's a shorter period of time, so you're going faster. You're not sleeping. You know, you're not stopping and eating full meals at an aid station like you do in mm-hmm. a 200. So 200, I tell people if you could fast pack, you could do a 200-miler. 
And it's similar to what I do when I'm fast pack. And that's basically what a 200 mile run is. You know, it's like you get from one aid station to the next. So one checkpoint to the next. And, you know, it's, it's a lot like fast packing. Even, and you're carrying lighter gear, but you're still carrying, you know, like a, a decent sized pack, you know, eight or 10 pounds with you because you have to have required gear, clothing and, and things. You know, if you end up in the mountains like we did at Tahoe this year where we got a freak snowstorm mm. and it was freaking cold. Yeah, nobody was expecting it. And luckily I brought, you know, I always bring everything like all my drop bags have like one of everything and people are like you have so many puffy jackets and Gore-Tex jackets I'm like you don't know on the course where you're going to be at what time in a 200 you know unless you're like Courtney or somebody that's really fast and you know you're you know you're dialed in with that you could be you know you don't know where you're going to be on the course if there's a, a weather system that comes in like it did for us at Tahoe this year and luckily, I had Gore-Tex pants that I was carrying with me and my Gore-Tex jacket. And so I was prepared. And I was cold. And I know there was other people out there that were way colder than me that were not prepared and, you know, not ready for snow. But we were basically in kind of like a, like a whiteout condition at some point out there. And it was just, you know, trying to find that, you know, you were having to use your app to navigate because you couldn't see the markings. You know, because wow. snow was covering stuff. Yeah. Oh, so okay. in 200 mile race, that's one of the requirements as well. You have to have the map of the course downloaded onto your uh, phone through the Gaia apps. And they check that when you check in the day before the race. You, It's a requirement that you have that on your phone. Otherwise, you can't run the race because hmm. you have to navigate. You know, people can pull markings down. They mark the courses like a week ahead. You know, it's different than a hundred mile race where they can just go out a few days of market. I mean, this is like through the back country. So they got to get out there and, you know, it takes, you know, like five to seven days to mark a 200 mile course for them. Definitely. So, yeah. so, so talk about it back to that topic. We talked about the uh, addiction, um, how you uh, went through and came and recovered and sure. 20, 25, 25 oh, yeah. years later. Um, yeah. So talk about, uh, you know, you know, we, uh, uh, it's not the same, but uh, we our we hear more often than than ever that you know we are our running is addiction and for sure yeah. and you know, <laughs> you know but it's you know what if you think about being on drugs and alcohol it's a better addiction for sure you know it's like to me an addiction is when it takes over your life so I mean I don't running hasn't taken over my life you know there's been I am on a running streak right now for almost seven years. It'll it'll be um, next month. But if I couldn't run tomorrow and something happened, it's not like I'm something's mm. going to happen, you know, like I'd go back and use drugs or anything like that. But yeah, so it, it's a better addiction. I, I feel like if, you know, if that's what you do with your life and you're not hurting anybody and you're not, you know, it's not taking over and you have a family and all of those things, then, then it's a better addiction. You know, it's like I'd rather be running than being on drugs like I was before and spending all this money on drugs and doing horrible things and selling drugs to people and, you know, like getting other people hooked. And yeah, yeah I, uh, I'd rather have a running as an addiction. <laughs> and definitely it's a healthy addiction. Uh, it for sure is. You yeah, know. I, I try to explain it to these people and, you know, it's people are not on it. Uh, I guess it's uh, similar to the other. They addiction. don't understand. Yeah, yeah. They don't understand. It's like, and, you know, they don't know. Well, the highs and lows we go through and the challenges exactly. that, that we had to face. And so one of the other thing I mentioned to people that if I was not in a running addiction or, or running at least, 
I would have been doing something else, uh, which may For not, sure. <laughs> you know, we, we all have free yeah. time, correct? So we, we need exactly. to do so I'm using my free time. That's uh, I try. And to... I always say, you know, I'm doing this why I can, you know, because one day I may not be able to run. You know, at some point, something might happen and I won't be able to run again. You know, it's like I may get an injury or whatever. So I am very grateful that I have this body that lets me and allows me to do this right now because it's not going to be forever that I could do that. You know, so I'm going with it why I can now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so, so talking about uh, addiction, uh, the drug addiction. Um, if our listener, they're listening there, they know their friends and families are suffering and uh, uh, from that, or they themselves are suffering and trying to get out of it and try to be choose a healthy addiction like running uh, from the drug addiction. What is the? I, I know you describe your path. Let's talk about a little bit of, from your experience. Uh, talk about that experience, sure. the path they could uh, take or they can help somebody else to take uh, baby sure. steps and so on. So Anybody that's that has an addiction, you've got to hit a bottom. So, you know, it's like you're going to hit a bottom at some junction in your addiction. And mine happened to be I got arrested and I spent the night in jail and that scared me straight. So, you know, it's people are always going to hit a bottom and – you know, if you have a family member that's suffering, it's like, give them the tools, give them the information, you know, say there's AA meetings they can go to, or they can go to Narcotics Anonymous, but don't give up on people. But the, the best thing you do for an addict is let them hit their bottom on their own and don't enable them. You, when you're ready, you're going to want to change. Like I was ready at that point. Like a month before, if somebody was telling me to quit doing drugs or I needed to quit doing drugs, I would be like, no, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to do drugs for the mm -hmm. rest of my life kind of thing. You know, it's like you don't realize until you're faced with your bottom, whatever that may be. And it's like, you know, that's when you're ready. You know, it's like you, the, the person has to be ready to want to change. And, you know, most of us know we're when we're in an addiction, like we – know we're out of control you know all addicts know they're out of control and it's just a matter of hitting that bottom or reading something or seeing something that clicks that helps you to want to change so you know it's like once you you know once it starts taking con over control of your life like it's like you start losing everything you know I had uh, I had a job luckily at the time I was working in a hair salon but it's like I've seen people go from having so much to losing everything. I mean, at least I always had my job and maintained that, but I, you know, it's like you start running credit cards up, you lose mm. your car, you know, just, you don't care about stuff. So, but it's, you know, it's just like, get, get the information, you know, to somebody that's suffering or if somebody that's listening is suffering. It's like, you know, it's like you want to change, you know, just go to an AA meeting or a narcotics anonymous meeting or, Find a good therapist, but it's the best thing to do is to be able to talk about it so that way you don't feel shameful or, you know, ashamed of what's going on in your life. If you could talk to somebody about it, that's the best thing, you know, because you're not alone. And that's what happens is we suffer alone hmm. and we hide, you know, behind our addiction. And that's the hardest part. Once you can admit to it, then that shame goes away and you you know you're not alone and there's people out there to help you. Definitely. Uh yeah, running. Uh, we have enough people addicted to running. <laughs> exactly, and there, you know what? There's a big. I've, I've done other podcasts like with this um, sober uh, 
living organization and they were asking me, they're like, are, are there a lot of addicts in your altar running? Cause they didn't know much about altar running. And mm. I go, actually, yes, <laughs> a lot of recovering addicts yep. doing what we do, especially now in the 200 mile races. I would say the majority of the people have probably had a drug or alcohol past yep. because it's just so extreme. <laughs> yeah. And I have, I've, I've seen a lot of friends also came to running from depression. Uh, they, mm-hmm. kind of and from, I suffered from that too. Yeah, anxiety came, and, yeah, anxiety. And that helps with it for oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, it helps with your mental focus and your mental health. I mean, it, it definitely helps with that. It's like you feel better about yourself, you know. And if you can do it without having to take drugs, that's, you know, medication or whatever, that's a better thing. You know, it's like the endorphins you're getting from running it definitely helps, you know, and it makes you feel good about yourself. Definitely. And uh, running, uh, especially trail running, the amount of engagement you have to do, <laughs> you know, so I felt like uh, it keeps your mind sharp and keeps you away yep, from thinking sure. other things uh, that comes up. In exactly. Your it makes you, especially if you're out on a trail, there's so much beauty out there that, I mean, you can't go into that negative dark place when you're looking around and seeing, you know, different animals and beautiful flowers and beautiful streams and trees and whatever. It's like, you can't be too negative out there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, going from being addict, heavy addict, uh, to to becoming a runner. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the focus for us because we are running podcasts yep. and, you know, we wanted to know. Well, how the how, heck did she go from yes, that like, to that? I, mean, yeah. I, I know you talk about this in your book uh, yeah, extensively. I, I, let's let's talk just a little so, sure. the, so that our listener can kind of get some idea. Yeah. So I, you know, I had been working out in a gym for about two years after I got um, sober, and I was like, you know, I take I had a little miniature dachshund that I would take for walks three miles every day. And one day, just out of nowhere in my head, I was like, I think I want to run this like loop that I've been walking for, you know, the last couple of years. And, you know, I was into going in the gym. So I was working out all the time. And so the next day when I decided this, I was like, okay, I'm going to put on my shoes. You know, I just had like cross trainers. I didn't have any running shoes yet. So I went out and I did my three mile loop and I felt so friggin' fantastic. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I just ran continuously Mm. three miles. You know, it's like I hated running in school, (laughs) in high school. I even was on the soccer team because my dad was a president and the coach of the Fremont City Soccer, and I hated it. He forced me to play, and I would just sit on the sideline and complain because I wouldn't want to get hot and sweaty and all of that. So anyways, I did my three-mile run, and I was like, wow, I'm a runner. You know, it's like I want to do a race. So I was in a Barnes and Nobles and there was a flyer in the back. This is before internet, by the way. (laughs) There was like, this is like back in 90. Oh God. Well, I mean, there was internet, but not like it is now. So it was 96 when I did my first race. So I saw a flyer for 10K and it was like a week later. So I signed up for this 10K and my mom uh, was going to walk the 5K. So she did the 5K and I did the 10K. So I ran it. I didn't know about pacing or anything. I only had run for like a week and it was only a few times you know before I did this 10k and when you don't know pacing you just go as fast as you can I mean you know nothing so I finished and I felt so good that I felt like I was gonna have a heart attack because I you know it's like I ran it in like 43 minutes and I you know I was like oh my god I feel like I'm gonna have a heart attack but I feel so good about what I just did this was you know I I ran I ran six miles 6.2 miles so I got back to my vehicle and there was a flyer on the 
my vehicle for the San Francisco marathon. And that was in three months. Mm. So I was like, Oh, how far is a marathon? I had to, you know, ask one of my friends, Kevin, I go, I know it's like 20 something miles, you know, and I've watched the Boston marathon when I was a kid on TV and all of that. So he goes, Oh, it's 26.2. And I said, well, I'm going to run this marathon. So I signed up for San Francisco marathon, which was in three months from the time I started running. And I went out and I bought a book on how to train for your first marathon so I skipped to the chapters because uh, through the chapter until like three months out before your marathon because I <laughs> didn't have six months to train for this. Like the book, you know, it was a, like a ramp up for six months for your training. So I skipped up to the chapter where it said your long run on Sunday is a nine miler. So this is before GPS watches and all of our fancy shit we have now. <laughs> so <laughs> I got in my car and I pressed the little odometer and I went out Four and a half miles, so I knew, like, okay, this is going to be where you have to turn around tomorrow, so you're going to go out and back on the road, and so there happened to be a gas station, so that worked out perfect. I was going to run to that gas station and come back. So the next morning, I got up, and at this point, I had went out and bought a pair of running shoes, not even at a running store, just, like, at a Ross or somewhere, you know, like, not... (laughs) Yeah, it was like, okay, I got running shoes. Yeah, I got the running shoes. Yeah, so I did that, and I felt so good. That was the farthest I had run. I ran my nine miles. And then I, after I went out and bought a pair of good running shoes, I went to a running store, got the running shoes. And so I just trained basically from there and and ran my first marathon, which was San Francisco Marathon. And in the middle of the race, I was running with, you know, just around people. And this man was like, oh, is, you know, have you run a marathon before? And I said, no, this is my first one. And he had run like, you know, half a dozen or so. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. And I go, yeah, I'm going to run the Honolulu marathon in a couple of months too. And he's like, you haven't even finished a marathon and you're already talking about another one. (laughs) So like right then and there, it's like, I should know, you know, even though I hadn't known about ultras yet that like, yeah, I was going to be an ultra runner. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it went from there and um, my first year of running marathons, I did two marathons and the second year I decided I was going to run every marathon in California. And so some of them happened to be on trails. So I started running, you know, my very first time I did a trail race, I was like, oh my God, this is totally different. There was no water stops every mile. (laughs) You know, you're like, you know, I had to read all the information when I signed up and they're like, you have to carry a a water bottle. And I was like, oh, what do I have to get? So I got like a waste pack and yeah. And so that's how I I learned about trail running. And, you know, during that year, as I was running all these marathons, I was hearing people talk about ultra races, you know, ultra Mm. marathons. And I was like, what is that? And I was talking to this gentleman that was also trying to run all these marathons in California. And he goes, oh, he goes, it's 50K, which is, you know, 31 miles. And I go, well, shit, that's only six more miles than what I'm doing <laughs> now. And I, well, and at that point, I was, you know, little did I know in my head, I was already training for an ultra because I was doing, there was uh, quite a few of the marathons that year that I was running back to back on a Saturday, Sunday marathon. So mm. I was already doing 26.2 back to back runs. So, you know, I then, you know, sought out like looking for a 50K and I decided to do a 50K and, you know, I actually tried to sign up for one that was that in my hometown that went over these passes in the wilderness and it had like 9,000 feet of climbing and I called at the time, you know, like I said, there was no internet. So you would call up the race director to ask (laughs) questions. You know, that's how we did things back in the day. So I called up this race director and he goes, have you run? up Mission Peak. And I said, 
well, yeah, I've been up there a couple of times. And he goes, have you been into Sonal? And I said, no. And he goes, have you been to Rose Peak? And I said, no. And he goes, and this is going to be your first 50K. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I suggest that you run this other 50K, which is in um, September. And he goes, that's much easier. So he convinced me not to run it. And who mm. knows, maybe I would have never run another ultra if I ran it. Because when I did run it, it was very, very hard. So I signed up for this 50K that was, you know, in September. And I ran that. And it was like super hot. Happened to be like 100 degrees out that day. And I was, you know, I knew nothing about electrolytes or things like that, you know. And I'm running all the hills. And early on, somebody was like, is this your first ultra? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you should be walking this hill. And I'm like thinking to myself, what are these people walking for? This is a running yeah, it's race. Like it's you know? a running race. But we you learn <laughs> real quick that all those people are passing you later. Yep. So yeah. I finished that and I felt so fantastic. I was like, oh my God, you know, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I need to sign up for a 50 miler. <laughs> so two weeks later, I ran a 50 miler and then I ran one more 50 miler and it was in horrendous conditions, pouring rain super bad storm and I told myself that when I when I started that race I go if I can finish this because everybody was like you're gonna run in the rain like that it was like major storm and I was like Mm. yes you know why would I not so I told myself in the middle of the race like if you can get through this you're gonna sign up for a hundred (laughs) miler so I got through it and it's like immediately after it's like okay I gotta run a hundred miler so within a four months time of doing my first ultra I ran my first hundred miler wow yeah. And this is before, like I said, you didn't have internet. You didn't, you know, it's yeah. like the yeah. only information you had was there was an ultra running magazine, which is still around now, but it was just a black and white magazine. And it actually had mm. all the uh, applications for the races in the back of the, the magazine. So that's how you signed up. There wow. was no, there's no, yeah, ultra, ultra sign up. <laughs> no, no, ultra sign up was not even around yet. <laughs> that was like many years later. So yeah. Yeah. So this is like going way old school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talking about this, you've, you mentioned about your running, uh, running journey and, uh, so getting over your addiction. So, so it has, uh, tell us about how running has helped you to get over, you know, we, as an addict and you know we all hear about that relapse and relapse and uh, mm-hmm. you know coming back to it uh, so running I, I feel like running has helped you to kind of avoid the whole thing for sure it has it's gave me confidence it's given me purpose it's given me direction focus all of that things that you need I always tell people you need to find a passion to stay and maintain your sobriety in life if you, if you don't have like something you're passionate about you know, whether it's like it could be a sport, it could be like your dogs, it could be your family, whatever. Just as long as you have a, a passion, it, it will give you purpose on doing something, you know, and finding something. And I just feel like, you know, running is my passion and it, it's just given me so much. You know, it's like I'm so appreciative it, to it because it has kept me clean and sober, you know, just getting out and training. And, and you know, it's like. Your your races aren't gonna run themselves. You have to put in the work, hmm, and definitely. that's part of being so, getting clean and sober. You have to put in the work. You know, it's not always gonna be easy, and you know. And I learned that going through sobriety and maintaining that. You know, early on, like, yeah, this ultra running thing is just like that. It's like you have to put in the work, and you have to keep focused, and you know, to be able to maintain your sobriety. So yeah, I just having something, you know, that 
that you focus on and plan each day and, you know, and then get to your goal, which is your race, you know. Definitely. Uh, that's, that's always the, that's always the case for us as a runner. And, you know, it, you know, when we struggle so much sometime, you know, we're like, uh, is this something I should be doing? You know, so a lot of times like, uh, should I be going, going back to not running? Oh yeah. Uh, trust me. I have <laughs> negative thoughts where I'm like, I hope maybe a mountain lion will attack me and I have to stop. <laughs> I don't have to drop out of the race. I'm going to get hurt. You know, your, your brain, you have that like mindless chatter, you know, like you have that little voice going, you shouldn't be doing this. This is bad for you. You know, it's like, and, and I always change that in my head. I go, you know what, you're, you need to be grateful. You can't like let mm-hmm. anything negative get in your head because there's so many people in the world that would rather be doing what we're doing than suffering or going through cancer treatment or an illness. You know, it's like they would change places with us in a heartbeat to have their health, to be able to do what they love, you know? Definitely. So I always try to remember and to be grateful that I'm allowed to do this because this is, you know, it, it's a gift. You know, and that's what I look at it as, is I have been given a gift to do what I do, you know, because not everybody can do this. Definitely. that That's for sure. A uh, gift, a uh, gift of passion. And um, I talk mm-hmm. about that uh, to some of the friends and families as well. Try to explain who ever can listen to me. Uh, you know, so, so like you said, it's not everybody can do this. Uh, at the same time, you know, maybe somebody may have wanted to do it and not not, not everybody can able to do it. You know, you know what I mean? There's exactly. Two, there's two part of it. So so definitely. And, and and for me, it's like I tell, I talk about, you know, how running has helped me. You know, I probably would have been close to death. <laughs> I'm still young, <laughs> but, you know, but, but you know, the family history and everything, you know, that, that kind of plays in you life you know so, so with the running i'm able to kind of push that a little bit further down the road i'm sure i will you know we all have to die one day but but exactly you know, and but but at the same time i'm living yeah <laughs> but if you can be healthier by doing something that you love you know it's like and you can live longer definitely so so let's talk about uh one other thing you mentioned earlier vegan and being a vegan runner um mm-hmm. i i used to eat meat and then went to vegan Family couldn't handle in Alabama. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> we don't live in a California, or, you know. So anyway, uh, talk about a, a, a vegan runner. Uh, tell us about uh, your diet, uh, what kind of things you use. You know, I became more. Uh, I mean, you know, even, even though I was, I'm a vegan, and I was a vegan, I did not uh, had healthy choices of foods and. Talk about your uh, nutrition. How do you? Yeah. So I've been vegan for 25 years. So the day I got clean and sober, I was already a vegetarian. Hmm. And I decided, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to go vegan. So it was a lot harder back then because they don't, I mean, we have so much great vegan food now. Like we have vegan cheeses, vegan meat. You know, it's like even fast food places are carrying like the Beyond Meat burgers, which are vegan and, you know, things like that. You you didn't have much choices. You had soy or like soy milk. There wasn't like almond milk, coconut milk, you know, all these different nut milks that we have now out there. So it's much easier to be a vegan now. And I, you know, it's like I eat like everybody else, just vegan versions of stuff. But I mostly do raw fruits and vegetables and steamed stuff. And I eat a lot of salads and, you know, there's... uh, I do like yogurts in the morning with, you know, fresh fruit, like the, the Daya vegan almond milk yogurts and things like that. And I mean, there's so much good vegan stuff out there. It's, it's not hard to be vegan anymore. 
and people just like in their head they think oh i can't live without this and it's like nope you can live without it trust me (laughs) (laughs) you know it's just yeah i mean and i always tell people just try to be vegan for like a couple of days and see what happens you know it's like there's so many alternatives and in fact i had a friend that was just visiting that he took up mount whitney and he was celebrating his one year of sobriety and he actually read my book and that's how he started running and it led to his past, you know, wanting to message me to see if I'd go up Mount Whitney with him for his one year sober anniversary. And I was like, of course. So now he's getting ready to run his first 100K. But he was here and he's not vegan, but he ate vegan for the three days he was here. And he was like, this stuff is good. He goes, I wouldn't be able to tell that this wasn't a hamburger had you not told me that it was like a vegan Beyond Meat burger. Hmm. You know, and he's like the vegan cheese, the same thing. He was eating what he goes, I'm just going to eat what you guys eat. You know, because my boyfriend's vegan, too, and my friend Joyce was visiting, and she's vegan. So, and that's coming from a meat eater. And he goes, I guess I could be vegan a couple of days a week. <laughs> so, whenever you do uh, uh, distance uh, fast packing, I think you fast packing, mm-hmm. you carry your own vegan food. Uh, when, but when you do distant ra- distance races, like 100 mile, 200 mile, how do you manage that? Do you carry your food or? I put my stuff in my resupplies, but let me tell you, the 200 mile races, the destination trail races that Candace puts on, they have tons of vegan food. If you And I'm gluten free too. So they actually have like a bin of food, like if you're gluten free and vegan and they will make stuff for you. So they make vegan burgers, vegan hot dogs. They have wheat free, gluten free bread out there. They make, you know, whatever your needs are they will have it out there they have vegan cheese to make you stuff it's like yeah i mean the 200s have the best aid stations by far (laughs) (laughs) because you have to fuel you know it's not like in a hundred mile race you just need fruit and you know grab your gels Mm. and whatever i mean you you need calories in a 200 mile race because you're not going to make it 20 miles which could take you over you know a few mountain passes and you know, and, and sections are like, you know, you could have five to 9,000 feet of climbing in a section. And so it's mm. going to take you like, you know, depending upon what time of day, six to, you know, 10 hours to go through that section. So you have to fuel up at an aid station. And then I just carry gels and like almond butter packets and maybe one bar in between the aid stations because I'm eating so many calories at an aid station. I try to get as many calories as I can. Definitely. And that's what mo- that's what most people do in the 200. But I can do a 100-mile race easily just using my Muir Energy Gels and almond butter. You know, it's like I'm getting enough calories, and I can just do more liquid stuff because my Tailwind Nutrition has calories. Listen to you about this 200. I don't think I've met anybody who has ever run 200. Or I think I think I've met somebody, <laughs> but talked to I actually had a podcast, but we didn't talk, go well, deep I'm on running it. Well, I'm running my but... 14th 200-mile yeah, but... race. <laughs> Looks Coming like, up next week. Looks like our <laughs> podcast about the streets, the 200-mile races, yeah. because not many of my listeners here has ever even even imagined. Even heard run. of it. Yeah, we have heard of it now. Okay. Yeah. We have heard uh, heard about this 200, Tahoe 200s. And so, but tell us about the uh, 200, 200-mile 200 races. Uh, you talked about uh, many aspects already. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's usually is a point of point or is it a is it Yeah, a... so so Destination Trail Races is the organization here that puts on which is called there's three 200-mile races that happen through the summer and if you do all three of them it's called the Triple Crown of 200s and this is the second year I'm doing it and I'm mm. the only woman that's doing it for 
two for the second time because it's you know, you know obviously running all those races it gets expensive <laughs> and you have travel you know? travel so, yeah yeah so the first one is Bigfoot 200 and that one's in Washington and it goes around Mount St Helens a point to point that one so it's you start they bust us over to one location and then we run all the way back so that one's the point to point Tahoe 200 which is here in in Nevada. Um, in Lake Tahoe and it's a continuous loop. So we start and finish at the same place. And then mm. the same with Moab 200 and Moab is more than 200 miles. It's 240 miles and it starts in Moab, Utah. And we do one single big loop as well. So yeah, these races are, you know, it's not like most, you know, some there's other 200 mile races in the United States where you're doing like 10 mile loops or 20 mile loops, but destination race trail racing puts on these, you know, races that are in destination type places that are not like you're not looping over the same place at the same time. And it's all very, very remote. So you really have to take care of yourself out there. And, or if you see another runner, you have to help them. You know, like if you mm-hmm. see somebody struggling, you definitely want to get their, you know, their bib number or, you know, offer them something. And, and Candace stresses that she's the race director that we all need to take care of each other out there. Like if somebody is having an issue, try to help them get to the next aid station, you know, if they don't have a pacer or whatever, or, you know, have somebody stay with the runner and the next, the other runner can run ahead to get them help. And, you know, it happened, they had to do a rescue at Bigfoot 200 Mm -hmm. in Washington, but luckily the guy was with his pacer, but it, they had to, he was in the remotest part of the course where even a helicopter couldn't get to them. They had to, get in like a military helicopter to do the rescue where he was located where he couldn't move from. So, but yeah, so you really, really have to take care of yourself out there and, you know, help to take care of others. And we all have to take care of each other out there. So, and not to scare anybody. I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, like nothing, it's safe. I mean, the aid stations are great. You have medical people all along the course, you know, and, Mm. and like I said, you're carrying required gear. So you have, extra calories that you have to carry with you at all times. You have to carry a pair of pants. You have to carry a jacket with a hood. You have to carry, um, what is the other thing she has us carry? You have to have your GPS with you. So, we have to have a whistle, you know, things like that. So, so whenever I talk about GPS, uh, so whenever you go to, uh, we, we talk for the phone, uh, but, but, uh, you know, this remote places, you're not going to have a, a reception, I assume. Yeah, so you put your phone, you download the course maps through Gaia. That's the company that we all have on our our phones that Candace has the race courses on. And we download them before the, you know, like whenever she sends it, like the link out. And then we just download it. And you put it in airplane mode. As long as you, down, you know, it's loaded at mm. some point, then it, you just run it off of airplane mode. Right. And it, yeah, so it it's working the whole time. Like I maybe charged my phone one time out there if i'm you know if i'm taking a lot of pictures and stuff i'll have to charge it a couple of times but yeah the my phone battery hardly ever i mean it doesn't i don't let it die so it's in airplane mode the whole time so it lasts a very long time yeah but you just you have to have a battery obviously when you're out there to charge your phone yeah carrying like a device with you (laughs) and the same with your watch you're like my watch is only gonna last for 25 hours you know because i have a smaller one the watch that I use. And so I charge it a few times out there and I could just put it in my pocket. I just put it on its little charger and I could plug it in and I just put it in my pocket, you know, and it charges. 
And so that way I can keep my data still going. So you, you talked about this briefly earlier, and we talked about GPS. And so, so talk uh, all these uh, trails. Uh, is it easy to track track using the GPS watches and stuff like that? So, yeah, I've gone off course before and pull out my, you know, because if you don't see a, a marker for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, like, you know, you hmm. should pull it out. And I mean, things go missing, but I've had to use it like during Tahoe through all the snow section, I had to navigate. I had, you know, cause you couldn't see where the trail was. Got so it. you had to use your uh, GPS, the Gaia app to be able to see where you were going. You know, it's like you have to there, you know, you're going through town and the ribbons get pulled in town too. So you're like navigating. Yeah. And it's very, it's very accurate. I mean, okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, your mind goes like, Oh, I, I think I'm lost and you're really not lost. But so, so it's good to have, I'm constantly pulling it out. Like when I'm by myself, if I don't have a pacer and I'm on like day three, it's like, I'm pulling it out. You know, even though I'm like, did I see a marking? Did I not see a marking? Cause you get all loopy. And it's it. like, just look at your friggin' phone. It'll put the little, the, you'll see your little, you know, arrow showing you the direction to go. And if you're off course. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something good for people to practice with before you get out on the trail to do one of these 200s. So a friend of mine, I was training her for Bigfoot 200. So we were out on some trails here, too, and I loaded it, uh, loaded up, a, you know, one of the trails that we were on. So that way she could understand how to use the Gaia app. So when she was out by herself, you know, during Bigfoot, she would feel confident using it. And I love that thing. Yeah, I love it. I love, you know, even when I go out on trails here, I'm like, oh, you know, it's like I I look at that and I can see, you know, the whole, you know, area and all the different trailheads that come off of the the map where I'm going or if I want to, you know, change the route and go a different direction. You, it's like you have the maps. It's so wonderful now. Technology, you don't have to carry a paper map. <laughs> Definitely. It has solved so much things, you know. I've, I navigated yeah. through the Berlin without, with a Wi-Fi only, so <laughs> big <sleep. Yeah. laughs> Think about it back, back in days, you know, it's, it's like a big jungle, correct? And you got to figure out everything. Exactly. So, so yeah, wonderful with the Google and, and that's what I do. But, um, but it sounds like um, for 200, um, which uh, which I'll be interesting to look into it. Um, you know, I don't think so. I'm allowed even to think about it, but you know, my <laughs> my family will disown me. But well, some, one some, day something, something <laughs> not, says that uh, it's on the table. It's yeah, on the it's table. Not, yes, definitely. I but, believe anybody could do it. I mean, if you yeah, could run 100 miles, you could definitely run 200 miles. Yeah. But it's just a matter of wrapping your head, and you know, it's like more and more people are doing it. I mean, her. The Tahoe 200 um, application starts October 16th, and she's doing a lottery this year. So mm-hmm. she's opening it from like October 16th for like two weeks, and then she's doing a lottery because it sells out. So when is the Tahoe 200? It is in uh, September. August is Bigfoot, and Tahoe is last oh, month. So okay. yeah. So talking about that, uh, it looks like 200 needs more planning, and then uh, you know oh, running, yeah. Yeah, running 100 miles. <laughs> Yeah, the drop bags. Like I, I, I will start tomorrow, like pulling out all the jackets and stuff. And I have, I write out like a li- I have a packing list for my two hundred, mm. and then I go through and try to figure out when I'm going to be at what aid station, and then where I'm doing my sleep breaks. So that way, you have to count that in. And I try to do like a total of five hours sleeping, a three hour sleep break, and a two hour sleep break. Yeah, so then I got to factor in where I'm going to be for that 
point in like what clothing am I going to need because I'm going to stay there for three hours. Is it going to be day? Is it going to be night? So yeah, it is a lot of planning, but I've kind of have it dialed in, but each race is different, you know, because the weather factor, like Bigfoot, we had thunder and lightning and rainstorm in the middle of the night for five hours. It was lightning hmm. all around us. Yeah. We, and we were running into the lightning. It was pretty scary, <laughs> but it was like, I'm just going to keep moving. I'm just, yeah. just putting my head down and I'm going. And I, you know, it's like, I luckily had my Gore-Tex pants in my bag and my pack because I had to put all that on and I had mm. like all Gore-Tex on and I felt, you know, I was, I ran very comfortably because I wasn't wet. You know, I had mm. my rain gear on and just like the snow, it's like, I luckily had enough of the right gear and, and Moab is notorious for being cold. I mean, this will be the third year that the race has been put on and I've run it every year. And the first year it was five degrees. Last year it was seven degrees. So it's like gets cold. But this year it looks like it'll be the nicest weather. I think our low is 34 degrees. So it's like, whoa, wait, we're not, you know, but I'm prepared for that. You have to be prepared still like for, you don't know how the weather's going to be. Yep. You know, you're in mountains and mountains have their own weather pattern. Yeah. So that's why you have to have multiple things and drop bags. Like people think you just have a lot of clothes. And I'm like, no, when you do 200s, you have to have multiple things. You don't know where you're going to be, you know, mm. out on the course and just to, for safety. I mean, that will make or break a race if you don't have the right gear, no matter what kind of race you're running. You know, if you're just doing a hundred miler, if you don't have the right gear and you get hypothermia, you're not gonna be able to finish. Yep. And with a 200, it's like, yeah, you're going to get cold. You, you're, you know, if it's raining, you're going to get wet. It's like, you just have to, to be able to embrace being uncomfortable for so many days for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So when I run a hundred, I'm just like, Oh good. I'm not going to be out here for three and a half days. <laughs> so I, that's what I do with my mind. So funny. Even though it's, yeah. yeah. To make it feel easier to me yeah. in my head. It's so funny because when I run a, Nowadays, when I run an even marathon, you know, it's like, ah, I'm done for four and a half hours, five hours. It's just like. <laughs> yeah, know. that's awesome. Man. You have the whole day. Yeah, like we've got a whole <laughs> day. Yeah. We, yeah. So we don't have, like you said. can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> day and night, we can go whole day, party all, you know, and then. But yeah. Versus, no. you know. I have to just with... think, oh, when am I going to be able to be in a, my bed? <laughs> four <laughs> no. days from now. Definitely. Katra, we, we had so much great conversation in this uh, podcast episode. Uh, we talked about uh, many, many aspects of running, ultra running, mm-hmm. fastbacking. At the end, we end up with 200 mile or that's kind of new thing slowly becoming. So so hopefully, yeah, you know, one day I'm able to line up for that. So before yeah. we close this interview, I just want you to give words of advice to all the listeners, especially those listeners or uh, the friends or family suffering from addiction, uh, trying to show them the way the way you have done it, uh, getting out of the addiction and being a runner, ultra distance runner, very successful runner, the book author, and so on. Uh, you have done so much over the years uh, since you you become clean for 25 years. You have done so much, and running has given you so much. Give us a word of advice to keep that hope alive and continue on on the journey of. Uh, being a runner or you know, at least being a clean, sober person? Well, believe in yourself, first of all, and know that you're not alone and that there's always help out there. You know, it's like just ask for help and find something that you love to do. That's the most important thing. When you're getting clean and sober, you've got to find something that you you want to do and that will help you maintain that sobriety. 
So whether it's just walking, riding a bike, running, going to the gym, just find like an outlet. And for, you know, family members that know people that are suffering, you know, it's just like, don't give up, up hope. You know, there's so many people that you look at and you're like, they will never get it. You know, they can. If you just believe in those people, you know, constantly just let them know that they are loved and that there is help if they they want to get it. For people that are already suffering, just believe in yourself. Just get out and try something new. Try something, you know, which makes you feel good and give you confidence. That's the most important thing, I think, to take away is finding something that will build you up and give you confidence in life because that will go a long way for sure. That sounds like great word, words of advice. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for coming to Emirates Podcast and uh, talking to us and giving you wisdom. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great. It's, I it's appreciate great. it. Yeah. yeah, we had a great time. And I'll put a link to your book. And uh, definitely, yes, please uh, do. If, if you have not listened or re read Catra's uh, book, please do listen or read read the book. And uh, Yeah, for sure. It's a good read. And, um, and especially being an ultra runner, it's a, it's pretty intense. Uh, it gets to intense points. And some of the parts of the book, uh, I, I get really emotional listening to you because some point... A lot know. of people get it, yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's like people can relate or they they know somebody that have, has gone through yeah. certain things. So, But, yeah, that's what it's there for. To, it's, you know, to help other people. You know, yeah. let them know they're not alone and that they can get help. Definitely. So thanks for your time, and uh, we'll, yeah. we'll keep in touch. And if you come to okay, Alabama sure. and uh, run some of our races here, let yeah, us know. Yeah, I'll have to look into something. Yeah, the Pinotti yeah. looks yeah. good. Pinotti, <laughs> Lake Morton. I run Lake Morton almost every year. It's a 25-mile loop. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That one looks good, too. Course. I've looked yeah. at that one. Yeah, I, I run that every year. That's I'm the only finisher. Awesome. Finisher and finish ever since started. So, that's, oh wow, that's a streak on that one. Good for <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, it's actually accidental streak, but yeah, to come run some of our races. So, I for sure will. I'll let you know. Okay, yeah, definitely. Thank <laughs> and you. Yeah, send me the information for uh, when you're going to put it up so I can post it and all that. Definitely, we'll do. Thanks. Thanks okay. for your time. Uh -huh, thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emron's podcast. If you like this podcast, please share it to others. If you have a YouTube account, please uh, visit uh, YouTube and find Marathon Runs uh, on YouTube and subscribe to that channel. I'm trying to uh, increase the audience there too. Sometimes I post this podcast and, and the YouTube as well, um, just so that way we have a wider audience. Please help me there and follow Marathon Runs on Facebook, Instagram, I recently have started using TikTok, um, a little different uh, from all the other social media channels. But thanks for listening. Visit mruns.com to listen to previous podcasts of Marathon Runs and the SoundCloud. And also I have a discount codes and other, other information. Also, uh, Marathon Runs photos. There's a lot of photos from the races, local races. Please um, put a comment about uh, this podcast uh, in iTunes. Uh, this, this podcast, like I said, it's, it's everywhere. The podcast can can be found iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, or, um, many many locations. So, so so please help to spread the word. Uh, thanks for being a very great listener, and uh, I hope you're enjoying the different type of podcast that that I'm producing. And if you like it more, I'll produce more. Thanks for listening.